Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Ray. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we get to look at the readings for the Feast of the Day of Pentecost. If you would like to listen to all the readings, you can do so by listening to the readings podcast that was dropped before this podcast. So Pentecost is a big day. It's the change of seasons. We're moving out of the season of Easter we're moving into the season of Pentecost, and Pentecost is one of the long—it's not one, it is the longest season of the church here. I think we get up to like the 84th Sunday of Pentecost, and we stay in green, and it seems like it keeps on going and going. What I really do—I don't mean to be dismissive about the, the season of Pentecost outside of the fact that it does keep on going—it's the season of the church— and we're, we're supposed to celebrate all the work that has been given to the church. And it really brings uh, scripture, it brings the promise, it brings the life of Christ into the application of the daily life of the church, the daily life of the Christian. And now with that, I also want to be very careful that just because we read scripture and we read scripture with the New Testament eye, the sanctified eye, it doesn't mean that everything is about the individual. Individual Christian. We don't read ourselves into the Bible. We read Christ from the Bible unto us. And I really appreciate this specifically about the gospel lesson. Now, the season of Pentecost begins with the event of Pentecost. That's our epistle lesson, our second reading, and that's uh, Acts chapter 2, where the tongues of fire and the disciples get to speak in other languages. But before that, we have Jesus. I think that's a weird statement to say. Before that, we have Jesus. Jesus actually promises this. And um, we have uh, Jesus talking to Judas, not the betrayer. Um, and this is uh, the continuation of the upper room. This is before his crucifixion, after the institution of the Lord's Supper and the washing of the disciples' feet. Jesus answered him, again, Judas, not Iscariot, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the fathers who sent me. So right here, I want to make some big statements. I really appreciate Jesus, again, preparing the disciples for the crucifixion, the burial, but his resurrection. And then more importantly, it's always weird to say more important than the resurrection, more importantly, the growth and the building of the church, the life that we live now. We see that this is all through the work of not only his perfect life, his death, but his resurrection, and then his giving that to us. And we need to realize that we don't just, I believe in Jesus Christ, who lived, who died, and then everything works out. 
we get to be incorporated into Christ. We get to be brought into him, uh, the mystical union, uh, the idea that Jesus comes to us and makes us a part of him. And this statement that Jesus makes, uh, we will come to him and make our home with him. Vicar, this is a terrifying statement. I know my heart and I know me. I'm not sure that I have room for God, the Father, and the Son. What do I do with this? I think you have to eat more Oreos to make more room. No, I'm just kidding. So with that, uh, really the first few verses here kind of tie together a few things that you were talking about uh, in the first few minutes there, because really this is the work of the church that Jesus is previewing for the disciples. Obviously, they don't they don't know what's coming, and he's really kind of setting the stage for what is to come. But it's the work of the church, especially in the way that the work of the church is carried out by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who uses us as his instruments to carry out his work. Uh, so with that in mind, when you have um, you know Jesus promising the Holy Spirit— and then the indwelling of God, uh, it, it takes a little bit of the pressure off because it's not really about what we do. But then at the same token, uh, in the same turn of phrase here, it is what we do because we have to uh, be willing participants in the work of the Spirit. So it's kind of this uh, interesting interplay between what we have to do and what's done through us but it really lays out what Jesus is is anticipating for the disciples after his death, resurrection, and ascension. So it's kind of a neat little time uh, in the in the church year because we have all these feasts going on. We mm-hmm. celebrated Easter not too long ago, and then ascension not too long ago. We move right into Pentecost, and all of this kind of unfolds uh, really the person and work of Jesus. But then also uh, it it brings the church into it through the work of the Holy Spirit. So with that, and, and that just moves right into the next verse, uh, these things, and, and I have spoken to you, Jesus, while I was still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, I really appreciate this because it's the giving of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will then open uh, minds, reveal, uh, bring a saving faith, a connection to the Scripture. And, And so we have the work of the Holy Spirit, as you were mentioning. We get to see Christ in the Holy Spirit, and because we see Christ, we see the Father. The Trinity is truly at work for our salvation and for the revelation of Him to us. And One of the interesting things about this is, again, this to your remembrance, all that I have said. I I really like this because, again, I want to put myself in this. Of course, I remember everything that every pastor has ever told me. I remember every sermon. I remember every Bible class because it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you could see me, you could see that I can't say that with a straight face. How are we to remember all that the Lord has said and spoken through pastors, through our parents, through our Sunday school teachers, through whoever? I think this is an interesting statement because I would love for the Holy Spirit to truly, and I mean this sincerely, remind me of everything that has ever been spoken about Jesus. How do we deal with he's going to bring to us remembrance? And with that, too, you also have to keep in mind that for the disciples here, um, they were not planning, uh, you know, in all their three-plus years with Jesus, 
they're not planning for him to go away. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you, you kind of have to wonder, okay, how how closely are they really listening as if they're never going to hear him say this again? So so you think they'd have taken better notes? If... I think if, if there's a fixed terminus, <laughs> you know Jesus oh, yeah. is only going to be with you for so long. I think there's even more urgency in in wanting to know what he's saying and yeah. and, and yeah take notes take notes on their on their tablets <laughs> yeah. uh, different tablets um, because they know he's going to go away but this idea of him going away is more of a recent revelation so yeah. it's kind of like you know you don't know t- what you got till it's gone kind of thing and they might have been listening intently to what he's saying as he's as they're going around traveling with him and he's preaching and teaching mm-hmm. uh, but you know actually taking detailed notes I don't know. Right. Uh, and that's where we're, we're left to kind of have to read between the lines a little bit. But with that, um, I think now that, you know, he's, he's really preparing them uh, for the fact that he's going to go die and rise and then leave. But he says, it's all going to be okay. The Holy Spirit is going to help you remember. And it's kind of what, you know, I like to think of it, how you were just kind of laying it out for us that, um, you know, if you, if you've been taught someone, and that's what you know, Jesus was their teacher. Mm-hmm. If you've been taught by someone, uh, you know, they give a lecture or what have you, you might not remember everything they said. But if you go down the road, a couple months, couple years, and a conversation starts, and you start talking about something that that teacher was lecturing on, maybe it jogs your memory. Right. Oh, yeah. That's what Professor whoever was saying. And that that's this is why he said that. And then you start to kind of connect the dots. And I think that's similar here for the disciples that were, you know, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, not only will they be able to connect dots to what Jesus was saying, but they're really going to have this divine ability to do so because the Holy Spirit is going to come on them specifically as the apostles, the ones who firsthand witnessed Mm -hmm. Jesus' words and actions. Well, and I appreciate that point because, uh, again, it's so nice to put ourselves in this. Jesus is talking to me. He's going to give me the Holy Spirit through baptism, through preaching, and I will remember everything. No, we actually get to put this in the context of who he's talking to. He's talking to the disciples and this remembrance. All the things that I have taught, all the things that you have seen, all the things that I have taught you, you will remember. And I love this so that it will be passed to the next generation. So it will be taught to the next generation. And before we pushed record, I really appreciated your statement, the idea that we should actually elevate the apostles in the sense of they're eyewitnesses to this. They have given us this testimony. Now, this testimony is divinely inspired, not only through their witness, but through the passing on. And I really like that because we don't have an office of the apostles. We don't have the uh, the official disciples. They're, they're gone. We were disciples now, but it's only from the teachings that have been derived from their eyewitness accounts. And I think that's huge. And when you said that, the bigness of that statement, because how quickly do we pass that off? Oh, yeah, it's the Gospels. Oh, yeah, they're eyewitnesses. But we got to talk about today. We got to talk about how I feel, how I apply this, how I, me, you know, because after all, isn't Scripture written for me? Well, yes, it's for my salvation. It's for the work of Christ for me, but it's not 
putting me in the the center. And so I really appreciated that because, again, it goes right into the next statement, um, what Jesus continues to promise to, to give. And none of that is to downplay, you know, who we are right. or the time we're living in no. or what we've been given. Uh, but it's really to to emphasize the work uh, that the disciples were called to do back then at the time of Jesus. Well, then, the, the work of Jesus, again, he makes this wonderful statement. And again, it's a, it's a huge statement. And when I say huge, it's just the magnitude and scope. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you that I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father. And I love that, because it's a whole idea that he is bringing us with with him. We are connected to him. We are a part of him, as he has made himself a part of us. And with that, it's very clear uh, here and uh, other places in Scripture that Jesus isn't leaving them high and dry. Right. Oh, absolutely. You know, he's actually well aware and promising something better than just his physical presence. Um, so with that, th- this idea of him, you know, he's leaving them peace. Uh, and, and we can kind of take that apart for ourselves because, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's something that everybody's chasing after. I think from all times, you just want a little bit of peace. Uh, And there are many ways we can find peace in this world. Uh, You know, you go on vacation and Mm -hmm. you get to walk out to the beach and you plop your butt down in your sandy chair and you just get to, oh, yeah, and there's some peace there. Or you go home after a long day and you take off your shoes and your feet are are barking and you just get to kick them up in the recliner and, oh, that moment of peace. And this peace that Jesus is leaving with them, is promising them and us, is this peace with God the Father, Mm -hmm. a perfect reconciliation, sins paid for, sins forgiven, they are no longer, and that is a peace, I mean, that's like, I mean, that's next level peace. Oh, truly. Well, yeah, it's the whole idea that the wrath of God is taken away, and you have his love, you have his peace. And again, Jesus clearly says, it's not what the world gives. It's not that moment. It's not that just breath. It's not that sigh. It's not that just comfort zone. This is not like what you said, next level. It's something that we fully don't understand and appreciate on this side because we can't. And we don't have the fullness of that peace yet. We get to receive that in our resurrection, in the the coming of the new heaven and the new earth. And I also like this because this actually gets to the heart of Pentecost. We're kind of uh, playing around in the weeds on this. But the whole delivering of peace, the delivering of the Holy Spirit, we see this come to fruition in the Acts text. And the Acts text is the event of, of Pentecost. You have the disciples— are in the midst of uh, Jerusalem during the Passover. So Jerusalem has a million plus people there. So this isn't a small event. And the the well-known story or event, uh, great noise, great wind. Everybody's wondering what what this noise is. The tongues of fire divide over the uh, disciples, and they go out, and then they start preaching the gospel in foreign languages. And then all the foreign people who are there are trying to figure out 
how they are hearing the gospel in their own language. And of course, the easy answer is they must be drunk. I don't know about you, but if I could drink something to have, to know a new language, I would be drinking a lot. I mean, that, that would just be great. I think that'd be a hot ticket item. I, exactly, or... yeah. Um, but Peter, and I love Peter after the uh, ascension, he, bold Peter takes on a whole new life meaning because uh, he really preaches the, the, the strength of the gospel. And he preaches boldly, uh, straightforward. But Peter, standing with the eleven, this is verse 14 of Acts 2, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And again, what Jesus says in the uh, Ascension text, uh, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms all attest to me. And again, you got uh, Peter pointing this out. Uh, and in the last days, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall have visions, and old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs of the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is just a huge statement that Peter is making. But the point that I want to, to really hammer home, this is exactly what Jesus said in the gospel lesson, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. But it's not just so you get this nice warm and fuzzy feeling and you get connected to, to God. It is, and as you said, this participation, God has bestowed his work upon you so that you'll do something with it, not so that we will now have peace where we get to put our butts in the sand and uh, relax, but this peace of knowing that salvation is ours, freedom from sin, death, and hell is ours. That means that we get to work. We get to, to, to proclaim this gospel boldly. We get to prophesy. And the, the great thing about prophesying is it's speaking Scripture. It's speaking the promises of who Christ is and what he has come to do. And the idea that this really does get to go to the ends of the earth through you. We don't have to all be pastors. We don't all have to be trained and so on and so forth. This is the new life that we have been baptized into. This is the peace. This is the reality of our connection to Christ and God the Father through the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to live this out in a truly participatory life. And again, I, I want to be careful. We don't participate in our justification. We don't earn our salvation. We don't add to God's work for our salvation. We participate in the life of Christ, and that, that's the holy life. That's the life of, of prayer, the worship, and acts of mercy for our neighbors in this new life. So th this is just huge. And, um, and again, the, the event of Pentecost is a well-known story. But those implications are still being felt today. It's still being given to us. Well, I, I love 
all of that because it's real. I mean, the, the, the event of Pentecost is really uh, the event of the gift that just keeps on giving. Yeah, you true. know, we, we use that phrase yeah. nowadays, but I mean, that truly that's what it is because the gift of the Holy Spirit being bestowed upon uh, the disciples here, the apostles, uh, it was not just for them. Right. Now, obviously, yes, uh, the Holy Spirit allows them to remember things Jesus did and said, but the gift of the Holy Spirit is is for the benefit of others as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're they're speaking in other languages, speaking in tongues here. They're speaking in other people's languages, not just to show off or for some parlor trick, but to share the gospel with them. So it's in that way. I mean, it's it's very much. It's not a hey, look what I can do now. Look what I have. I have right. the Holy Spirit. You're given the Holy Spirit so you can go preach the gospel to others so they can preach the Gospels to others. And there is the gift that keeps on giving, because that is the work of the Church. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, using us as His instruments to proclaim the Gospels to other, the Gospel to others, uh, all four of the Gospels, that's what yeah, I meant. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> proclaiming the Gospel to others in this, uh, this outpouring of the Spirit and like I said, the work of the church. No, I I can't agree more, and I really like how you presented that. So with this, I'm going to put you on the spot. What do we do with the Genesis text, the Old Testament text? Uh, Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, what do we do with that? Well, it's an interesting text. Uh, You know, I I like the connection between the Epistle lesson, Acts 2, and the Gospel lesson, because it's it's very clearly the fulfillment of Jesus' promise mm-hmm. given in the Gospel lesson. So you don't have to wait long right. to see, oh, the Holy Spirit actually came upon them. That's that's kind of cool. And then I'm, I'm a little perplexed with the Tower of, of Babel text, the Genesis 11 text, because um, it's a little different in my mind, because the Tower of Babel is really all about people who were disobedient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're, they're putting themselves above God. Um, and so it, it kind of stands a little outside of the other two texts in that way, but you might be able to make the connection in the fact that, uh, you know, there is work to be done. There is the the need for the gospel to go out, uh, and as people are dispersed there in the uh, around the Tower of Babel, um, you know, obviously there's a need for mm-hmm. someone to go out and preach the gospel to these people who have been dispersed now. Languages have been, uh, you know, created, divided, that kind of thing. Um, so that that's that's my attempt to kind of piece all three together and connect them. <laughs> Maybe you have a better insight. Okay, so. The way you, if you could arrange the text, so it wouldn't just be Old Testament, Epistle, Gospel, you would put the Gospel first, and then Epistle next, and just totally cut the Old Testament. Yeah, I mean, no, if it, I had my way. Right, yeah. <laughs> if you were the true, full, liturgical king, that, that's what you'd do. Well, I'd, I'd probably read the Old Testament lesson first, but I don't know if everybody would would see the connection. Okay. So how about this? How about we do Old Testament gospel and then epistle? Sure. And do it this for this reason. So you have the creation, you have sin entering into the world, you have the flood, and then you have the event of the Tower of Babel. What I appreciate about the, the Tower of Babel is it happens a generation or two after the flood. So it's still in recent memory. And one of the reasons they build a tower is just in case it floods again, they'll have safety. So immediately we have a lack of trust in God. 
Uh, now they have a they have a view of God as pernicious, as fickle. He might flood again. So now they're going to take matters in their own hands. They're to build a tower for their safety. Uh, Nimrod is actually uh, uh, the king in this, and he's gathered all these people. Uh, he's a, a mighty hunter, and so on and so forth. But without faith in God and His promises never to flood again, never to destroy. We see that these people keep getting further and further away from God. And they all have a unified language. And I love what God says about the unified people. Um, Come, let us make ourselves— No. And God came down and saw the city and the tower for the children— which the children of men have built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language— and this is the only be- the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they p- propose to do will now be impossible for them. And this isn't God saying, oh, they can do everything that they want. It's the idea that they have been unified against God. And this, now things are not impossible for them. They will continue to go farther and farther away from God, relying on themselves. And so when he confuses their language— This is, once again, God exercising, not only am I God, but I am the God of creation. I am the God of the Word. And I really like that because we got a whole play on that because we have Jesus being the Word. Uh, In uh, John chapter 1, the Word made flesh. The Word was God and was with God. The preached Word is still given. And so the idea that their speech, their words are confused, it shows on this unique and and deep level that when man is outside of God, he is confused and the language just continues to solidify his confusion for and the desire of a lowercase God. And so God just, this is what you want, here you go. How do you fix that? And I cannot imagine, and I mean this sincerely, the the confusion, the immediate confusion, fear that took place when you are in the middle of a conversation and you cannot understand the other person, or maybe even worse, a family member. And, And so you have the breaking of society, you have the breaking of this community, and they all disperse. And then you hear Jesus coming, and you have the promise of peace. Now we're going to have that community being brought back together, being healed through the Word. And that Word is going to be made manifest through the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And then we see that fruition in the event of Pentecost, when you have the disciples speaking those confused languages with the unified word of Christ. And so those, that's what I like, to, to tie all that together. And again, the bigness of God is not only behind creation, but behind the confusion. And that confusion is to show who's in control, not because God, you know, likes to mess with things or, you know, fickle or pernicious, but at the end of the day, who controls the word? It's not us. It's not our power and might, but it's the gift of God. So Pentecost is just huge, and that's what I like. And I appreciate what you said, though, because disobedience connected to the fullness and fulfillment of Christ's obedience. I don't know if I want to put those together in that sense. Um, I, I like that because you got the gifts of God. I don't want to mess that up, and I don't want to be reminded of 
how I have already messed that up. So I think it's interesting. I eagerly await your Pentecost Day sermon on the Tower of Babel. I, <laughs> I love how you're going to wrap that all together for us. So I'm, I'm waiting to see how you do that for us. Well, we can do it simply. And I mean that sincerely. Uh, Thus says the Lord. And then point to Christ and see the fullness of what he has done. What we, and it sounds horrible to say, uh, finish celebrating in Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, because we continue to live in that. And it's that continued living in that peace. And we need to be reminded. And it's humbling to be reminded that we take that peace for granted. We, we take that that relationship that God gives to us through the Holy Spirit because we have messed up and we continue to mess up. So I too eagerly await the, the, the sermon that will be preached when we see the fullness of Christ in the Genesis text, in the Acts text, and in the St. John text. So with bated breath, the Holy Spirit will speak and deliver Christ for our salvation. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.